The following is a reflection on the readings for Thursday of the 20th week of Ordinary Time. The Gospel is Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, which resulted in their expulsion from paradise and from their special relationship with God, the rest of the Old Testament consists of a step-by-step preparation by God of His people for a relationship even more intimate. The first step was the law given on Mount Sinai to Moses, revealing God's holiness, thereby bringing the people out of the darkness of ignorance caused by the original sin and teaching them how to relate to God and each other. It also pointed out sin and the need for forgiveness. The second step was a priesthood and sacrificial system put in place to atone for sin, although in a limited way. In step three, a series of covenants were entered into by God, starting with Noah representing a family and expanding to Abraham as a tribe, Moses as a nation, and David a kingdom. As the prophets Isaiah and Hosea indicate, God describes his relationship in terms of a marriage with his bride Israel. In the fourth step, hints were given by the prophets of a coming messianic feast where all people would be invited to a banquet of rich foods and fine wines, where death would be wiped out and the tears and shame of the people removed, culminating in an offer of salvation by God himself. Finally, the prophets announced a time when God would enter into a new and everlasting covenant with his people. Ezekiel chapter 36, quote, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and make you follow my statutes, and be careful to observe my ordinances, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. End of quote. This brings us to today's gospel parable of the marriage feast slash messianic banquet, which is the culmination of God's restoration of his people. The king symbolizes God the Father, and the king's son symbolizes Jesus. One is reminded immediately of the wedding feast at Cana, where Jesus inaugurated his ministry at the request of his mother whom Jesus called woman, a reference to the first Eve and the great promise by God of an offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Since at a typical Jewish wedding, the bridegroom would be responsible for providing wine and Jesus changes water into wine so that the wedding feast may continue, Jesus is in fact the bridegroom. Already John the Baptist points in this direction as he identifies himself as the best man, and Jesus directly calls himself the bridegroom who has come to marry his people, the church. Now to celebrate this truth, all humanity is invited to the banquet. Notice the stages of invitation. First, a call is made by the prophets in the Old Testament specifically to Israel that such a feast is imminent. No date had been set, but it was coming and so be prepared. A second invitation by other servants represent the apostles, who announce that the time is now, even detailing 
the extravagance of the feast by repeating the words of the king. Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. The various replies to these two invitations are set out in the parable. Some reject by simply ignoring it, and others that they are too busy with their farms and businesses. The rest seize the servants, treat them spitefully, and kill them. In response, armies are sent out who destroy those murderers and burn up their city. Then the servants of the king are instructed to go once again, this time to the highways, and gather all whom they find, both good and bad. Like all parables, the details of this story can be interpreted at different levels. In the historical context of the Old Testament, Israel in general rejected the call of the prophets and was not prepared when in the fullness of time the Incarnation took place. In the ministry of Jesus and the early church, many ignored or were too busy to reply to the second invitation of the apostles to the wedding banquet. The author of the letter to the Hebrews laments such a rejection. Quote, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Jesus himself lamented at the excuses offered by those who would not follow because they were too busy, whether it was to first go and bid farewell to family members or to bury the dead. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. In the prologue of John's Gospel, we hear these devastating words. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. John chapter 1, verse 11. The reference to armies destroying the murderers and burning their city points to 70 A.D. when the Romans under General Titus besieged Jerusalem, destroying it and the temple. The final invitation to anyone, whether good or bad, which ultimately filled the wedding hall, scholars believe referred to the Gentiles who eagerly responded. At a more contemporary level, the question is, what about us today? The invitation is no less relevant or consequential. It is important to realize that we are not just invited as guests to the wedding feast of salvation. We in fact are the bride. Jesus wants to marry the church and enter into a relationship that far surpasses what our first parents experienced in the Garden of Eden. Our response must be at two levels. First, we come to the feast and invite everyone else we know. As the king said in the parable, everything is ready. The church exists. The sacraments really unite us to the bridegroom, especially the sacrament of baptism, and the Eucharist facilitates our consummation. Secondly, as the end of the parable highlights, we must respond by being properly clothed with a wedding garment. In a sense, the conclusion to this parable is shocking, because the man without a garment is silent in the face of the king's question and was then thrown out, not just excluded from the wedding feast symbolizing the kingdom of heaven, but to the, quote, outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is, to the hell of Gehenna. This might seem harsh until we appreciate once again the context. 
According to scholars, at such an important wedding of the king's son, when invitations are made to everyone including the poor and outsiders, the king himself would provide for all a wedding garment. This explains why the servant is silent when challenged and does not simply answer, because being poor I could not afford such an expensive garment. What does the wedding garment signify? Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 provides the answer. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. In other words, by God's grace, we have the opportunity to receive his righteousness and live out that status by our works of charity. Thus, it is not just enough to be at the wedding feast and be offered the proper wedding robes. We must put on the garment of righteousness as an integral part of who we are. And this is especially the case since the prophet Ezekiel stated, a new heart would be given to us, a new spirit would be put within us to enable us to follow his statutes and be careful to observe his ordinances. Failure to put on these robes of righteousness will have devastating consequences. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This leads to the parable's conclusion, quote, For many are called, but few are chosen, end of quote. As one can see, this parable is hopeful, but also sobering. The invitation is still being made, and everything is ready. May we heed the words of St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, quote, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. End of quote. Let us come to the feast readily, clothed with the wedding garments of charity and righteousness, and rejoicing not only in our eternal salvation, but in an intimate relationship as bride with our bridegroom. <laughs>